Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Over the Farmgate podcast brought to you by The Farmer's Guardian. I'm your host, FG's News and Business reporter, Hannah Binns. Don't forget, we'll bring you a new episode of the podcast every Tuesday. Just make sure you're subscribed on your favourite platform. And if you enjoy this week's podcast, then please feel free to share it with your friends and family, as well as on social media. Agriculture is an industry in a constant flux, and over the next few weeks we'll be talking to AHDB levy payers about the upcoming Shape the Future ballot. While FG estimates there are approximately 100,000 levy payers in total, only 6,000 across all sectors have signed up to have their say about the organisation to date. This week we kickstart with the cereals and oil seed sector, which has seen only 1,713 sign-ups so far. Jess Frenenberg catches up with Tim Rycroft, Anthony Pierce, and Paul Temple about the future shape of the organisation, farmer concerns and what they perceive as good value for money. Hello everybody. Now there are just two weeks to go before registration closes for the HDB ballot where you can have your say about what the levy board's money should be spent on. As you all know, AHDB is having a bit of a shake-up, and so I've been talking to Tim Rycroft, the organisation's CEO, about what he's been doing to address farmer concerns and what will happen if the sign-up for the ballot continues to be as small as it currently is. But first, I'm joined by two levy payers to talk about what they think of this ballot and how to make AHDB fit for the future. Anthony Pearce farms turkeys and combinable crops in Buckinghamshire, including wheat for Weetabix and Warburtons, barley for Budweiser and oats for Glebe Farm. He also runs his own YouTube channel dedicated to regenerative farming. We also have Paul Temple, a tenant farmer in East Yorkshire, farming beef cattle and arable crops, who has twice been chair of the AHDB Cereals and Oilseeds Board, as well as a main board member. So we'll be looking forward to Paul's insights on the, the inner workings of the organisation. Now, I should just um, warn you guys, <laughs> uh, apologies if you hear some thumps and things. I'm recording this from home and the next door neighbours have chosen this very moment to rip their bathroom out. So um, it's not too bad, but you might hear the odd thump and everything. So please hang in there with us. So, guys, we're going to be talking a little bit more um, in a second about the the ballot itself. But I just wanted to get a feel to start with for how you both feel about what you get from HDB in terms of value for money and whether you really make use of the the resources that it offers. Um, Anthony, I wanted to come to you first because I know we've we've talked before about uh, about the resources at HDB that, that you use. I know you you run um, your own YouTube channel about regenerative farming. So how do you feel about it? Do you feel like you really make use of HDB, and do you get kind of value for money from it? It's interesting you mention a channel because really that's sort of brought me more into contact with AHDB than I would have done previously. Uh, con- there's nothing like teaching to uh, make you check your facts. And the quality of the uh, reference material, the guides, the manuals, uh, I find very helpful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I would say that you get out what you put in. So I do have to go looking for those manuals. It's not as if you know, they appear on my desk. Mm. So do you feel like maybe there are people out there who don't actually know how how much, you know, how many resources there are 
provided by HDB and you like you say you have to really go looking for them yeah I don't think it matters whether it's the manuals or the monitor farm project or the business the farm business resiliency tools and consultancy every time you as a levy payer have to go and engage in order to benefit and I think it's too easy to get involved in the day-to-day -day management of your farm uh, not look up, not engage, and then you won't be benefiting from these uh, these resources that are put at your fingertips. Mm. Paul, how do you feel about it? Do you feel like you, I mean, I know you've got a long history with, with HDB. Um, how, do you feel like you're really, you really get a lot out of it? I, I get a huge amount um, from it, partly because I understand it. Um, I've always looked at the information they provided as being part of a three-legged stool, so I had the commercial sector's information, I had the professional sector's information, and I really value the HD because it's independent. It, it's never been, it hasn't had to fight for its income or a popularity to do the work it's done. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I guess that independence is, is really important of moving ahead if we're talking about, you know, researching new new breeds, which are not necessarily going to be, I suppose, so commercially interesting for something like a big you know tech company but as we sort of move more into this sort of regenerative farming approach we're going to need different different varieties aren't we genuinely that's one of the key areas i think the htb shows value uh, when you're looking at regenerative conservation agriculture it's actually about using less products not more products and different techniques and the monitor farm was just a very simple but effective tool of being able to show them in a geographically relevant area it's not rocket science and it's worked really well yeah do you think there's there's any but sorry anthony the one of the things that i was really impressed with is the um the staff and the knowledge within the ahdb i came across the statistician who analyzes the recommended list uh, when I was participating in a uh, live wheat research program with the Organic Research Council. And it was really interesting to see um, the AHDB responding to research that was already in the organic field in order to bring forward um, sort of low input uh, regenerative practices into the mainstream. It showed wonderful crossover and it was really appreciated from my point of view. In this this ballot, I'm guessing you're both going to be taking part in this ballot. What are you going to be saying in terms of what you think um, the Cereals and Seeds Board will be spending its money, should be spending its money on? Um, Paul, can I come to you? What? I actually, ironically, at this point in time, you have to question the value you're going to even get from a ballot. I think this is a completely misplaced, very expensive folly, to be perfectly honest. If you're going to get 30,000 people participating, that's fine. If you only get 10,000 people, you've got less than 10% of the levy base. I cannot find how much this exercise is costing, both in external consultants and internal staff time. 
We have the most critical period of farming I have ever known. Fertilizer over a thousand pound a ton, raw materials, marketing chaos. To my mind, nothing that's going to come out of this will be relevant to decision makings. And what it's highlighted to me is the structure in the past of having a, a good, experienced um, board is absolutely vital. They have the contacts with the stakeholder base. They make good decisions. That is the most efficient way of leading this organisation. Mm. So, you, yeah, so you feel more like if the if the board is is experienced enough, then farmers shouldn't really have to be inputting their opinions on well, this. this th yeah, th you see, this isn't the mallet that was promised by George Eustace over a year ago. So it isn't a yes, no. This is just a series of questions mm. that are going to be put to um, people. The responses will then be given uh, to the board and then the board have to make a decision on the back of that. So basically what you're doing is, is, is making the process very long-winded, mm. far too long-winded. Mm. And do you, do you feel like, um, just coming to you, Anthony, do you feel like if, I mean, we, we know already that, um, yeah, the, the numbers signed up for the ballot are very limited, um, and there's only, well, as we're recording this, there's only three weeks left now for people to sign up for it. So do you feel like if we end up with such a, a limited number of people taking part, are we really going to have anything particularly meaningful and useful? And is there, is there also the danger that uh, a vocal minority kind of sways the direction of the spending to something that's maybe not actually so useful to the majority? That would be exactly my concern. The fact that you have to register just to participate in the votes means that, you know, a busy farmer has to intentionally register. And by the very nature of that mechanism, it's going to select people who are more vocal about either their support or more likely their ne negative um, points with regard to the HDB. Paul, what about you? Do you think that might happen as well? Oh, absolutely. You, unless you get big numbers, you aren't going to have anything meaningful. The signing up process, to my mind, is deeply flawed. Um, mm. uh, and it, I come back to how much is this costing and how will it improve decision making? At this point in time, with utter turmoil, you want a board focused on making rapid decisions based on the constant flow of events. And, and I, there's never been an appetite for this kind of, of activity. Um, I, I think this has been forced upon the organisation and, and is actually to its detriment. What do you, what do you hope, um, what would you hope that in, like you say, farming is going through a really rapid change and a lot of pressure on all different sides at the moment. What would you hope the board would be making decisions on right now? Like, what would you hope they would be directing money towards? Paul. I, th I, th I think you, your key points are, are the market intelligence, which is, is superb. That, that needs to be, uh, you know, it is so important for people to make decisions. Uh, and as it comes back to that various points of information, I mean, these guys are, are looking across the world all the time for us. Absolutely vital. But actually it highlights the, the, the benefit of having a monitor farm network. Because I, as I'm getting a lot of phone calls at the moment from farmers totally confused, the ability to have a network where people can sit together and talk about it 
has become more important because there's a, there's a degree of support required in this kind of period. The Monitor Farm Network does it, and, and I would far rather the resource went into supporting that, the regional managers and team that we've got, rather than this kind of um, exercise. Mm. Anthony, what about you? What, what would you hope that you know, the board would be making uh, decisions on right now? How, how should they be directing their money looking ahead at the, the next few years? Well, a, a classic example is is the Milling Wheat Conference last week. I thought there was a presentation there by uh, Dr. Sarah Clark, who heads ADAS, and she'd done, it was a piece of work commissioned by AHDB to extend the break-even calculation for the fertilizer table uh, as presented in RB209. It simply worked on the assumption break-even point of five. We're now at a break-even point of 10. It completely changed the table. Um, I personally sat down over the winter and extended the table, but you know it was a complicated process. So for the AHDB to fund, fund something that is highly pertinent to trading decisions that we're making in this cropping year is huge value for money. And what would it cost an individual farmer to commission ADAS to do that research themselves? It's just unsustainable. What, what do you, I guess, do you have any fears about um, what the outcome of this ballot might be in, in terms of where it might sway the, uh, the the funding decisions. Paul, do you, do you kind of get a sense of what might, like we said, those, that vocal minority perhaps? Yeah, my, my concern in the sense that uh, once you lost the potato and the horticultural sector, you lost the balance in the organisation. Uh, and the requirements of the arable sector and the cereals and oilseeds is quite different to the livestock one. And unfortunately, there's tiers of management now uh, have been added um, before you even get to the sector. So m my concern is that um, the livestock strategy is quite different. It will be very much marketing-based, reputational protection, those kind of things. The cereals and oilseed sector is very much more um, straight market intelligence, uh, application of R&D and genetics. And in many ways... Uh, I, I argued the case that it would be much, uh, given the fallout from the uh, ballot, it would make more sense actually to split the cereals and oilseed sector back out again, streamline the way it's managed because its decision making is, is, is relatively straightforward. And it has probably a, a clearer alignment with either NIOB or CHAP now than it does with the livestock sectors. So I'm concerned that the, the cereals and oilseed sector picks up an awful lot more cost um, with no benefit. If we if we were to kind of look a, look ahead, um, and I kind of put this this question to Tim and didn't really get a terribly clear answer, <laughs> but if we were to look ahead, say, I don't know, three years or something, you know, what would you like HDB to look like? You know, how how could it be more, I guess, fit for purpose for this like really real changing times, um, Anthony? What what would you say, you know, what would be your your idea of something that would be, like, really on point for you? It was interesting, from my point of view, that the there was an interesting... There was an interview with one of the leaders at DEFRA, uh, Janet... I can't remember her name, but 
planet. And um, she was saying that one of the weaknesses we have is knowledge exchange within our industry. And within my personal experience, I've run a biotech company before and the research was fantastic. It was it was world class. But the app, how that knowledge was applied to the commercial situation was so disconnected. Researchers were continuously looking for the next piece of funding, the next new idea, rather than looking at how that was delivered and provided commercial benefit. So I think I would be looking for pieces of work like the Sarah Clark piece on fertilizers, something that is tangible that del delivers benefit to the levy payers. I mean, I was when I was part of the sheep and uh, sheep situation, I was part of a ram compare program that was looking at the genetics of, of rams and feeding it through into the food chain. We were having carcass analysis done by Sainsbury's, that sort of knowledge which look, takes the whole food chain through from genetic improvements of, of sires all the way through to eat, eatability, you know, uh, carcass yield. That's the sort of information we need, uh, whether it's in cereals and all seeds or whether it's in livestock and red meat, knowledge exchange and getting it through to farmers where we can use it. Mm, so real tangible, like you say, tangible knowledge ex exchange. Um, Paul, have you got anything to add to that? Well, no, it builds a bit on what Anthony said. Um, I, I think it's really clear where the future is. You're going to have to be good at business. Whether you like in whatever sector you are going to be in, it's about better business. And that's why it's really important that the leadership shown is about business and where you fit in. Um, and it's why I think there is a different need for the arable sector and the, uh, and the livestock sector. Uh, certainly, the loss of the experimental husbandry farms disconnected knowledge exchange. To a small extent, we've connected it with the monitor farm network. Uh, and I think uh, how you connect um, levy payers to information is going to be really important. Um, and you're not going to get away from the physical and geographic context. So I think if you distill how are you going to do it and why you got it? You know the direction you're going. And then it's about partnerships, which is why I say we have, we've got to get out of this bunker mentality. The HDB, I was there when the HDB was um, created for all the right reasons. And, and it's why actually you need to have a hard look at it. Really, in many ways, what it should do now is simply provide the services for the individual sectors and give them the flexibility that they need so they can work together if they require it, but literally use the backroom services. And actually, I would make more prominent the, the sector councils, as I think they're going to call them now, and, and the decision-making of the sector directors to, to give a much sharper, clearer focus rather than trying to make it work as one organisation, because it can't. And thanks to Anthony and Paul there for sharing their views with us. The England Woodland Creation Offer from DEFRA and the Forestry Commission is now available. If you're a farmer or land manager, you could receive over £10,000 for every hectare of woodland you create. You'll also get free expert guidance every step of the way. Because when you plant trees, you plant the future. You plant a legacy which rewards you now and for generations to come. Put down roots. Visit gov.uk forward slash woodland creation. 
England only conditions apply. Now, earlier last week, I caught up with Tim Rycroft, CEO of HDB, to find out a little bit more about what's happening with the ballots and the future of the organisation. So, Tim, as we record this, there are three weeks to go for levy payers to sign up uh, to the ballot, and there will be two two weeks left um, by the time this is published. So, where are we? Where are we at with the ballot? You know, how many farmers have you got signed up so far? We've got about five thousand farmers signed up across all four sectors. It's a little bit different depending on which sector. Um, uh, and I'm kind of looking at that in two different ways. On the one hand, uh, it's not enough and I would love more and I'm doing everything I can to encourage levy payers to sign up. On the other hand, it's 5,000 more than we ever asked in the past. So um, it, you can you can look down whichever end of the telescope you like. Yeah, I mean, which sector is struggling the most so far with numbers? Uh, I suppose the one that I'm most concerned about probably is beef and lamb. Um, where uh, we don't have good enough coverage, really. Um, I mean, although we've had some challenges getting pork producers to sign up for reasons that are completely obvious, uh, because of the structure of the pork sector, we've got quite a large coverage, actually, of of pigs. Um, So I guess beef and lamb is probably where I'm most focused. What what sorts of numbers are we talking about? Yeah, we've got about 700 uh, signed up in beef. Um, and we've got about 600 signed up in lamb, um, which, you know, is too few, to be honest. It's a, it's a big extensive sector and, um, you know, the structure of that sector is that there's a lot of smaller players and I'd love to hear from a lot more of them. So how, how are you going to address this then? Because you've got just three weeks left now um, to get as many people as possible signed up for the ballot. Uh, two, by the time people will be listening for the, to this, how are you getting the message out? And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll talk about communication a bit more um, in a second, but clearly something needs to be done, um, doesn't it, to get enough people signed up to make this ballot meaningful? Yeah. Well, I think there's a couple of things. I mean, we, we are turning up the intensity of our communication and we, we are... Um, in the next few days, you'll see us talking about the specific questions that we'll be asking levy payers. And I, I hope that'll be a bit more motivating when they start to really focus on what are the issues they're being asked to decide. I think probably the biggest thing that's going to act in our favour is going to be farmers encouraging farmers to let, to register. I think, you know, seeing, hearing that message from, from people who are in their sector, who are facing the same challenges, who have said, look, this is easy to do, it's very quick. I really think it's important that you take a moment to make sure you have your say. I think that's probably the, the thing that will make the most difference. Um, we have been told all along that, that farmers will tend to do this at the last minute. Now, I hope that's right, but it's, um, it's a little bit uh, unsettling as we head into the last few weeks. Yeah, I mean, I suppose the danger at the moment is that because the figures are just, um, you know, such a small proportion of levy payers, doesn't that mean that that small proportion could be directing the funding, you know, which won't necessarily reflect the views of uh, the wider, you know, of, of each sector more widely? So if that happens, how will you take those ballot answers you know, will you take them as they are and make spending decisions based entirely on them? Or will you have to weigh up the fact that, um, that those answers come from just a very small proportion of, um, of levy payers? I don't think it's necessarily true that uh, a small number of registrations means that we'll get the wrong set of opinions. 
Um, I mean, this is more of an opinion poll than an election. So the point is, do we, do we get a consistent picture back from the ones who have registered? Um, and I'm, I'm reasonably confident that, that even at these numbers, we'll get a much better picture of what levy payers want us to do than we've been getting in the past. And yes, we will take that information and our sector councils will use it alongside information that they'll have got from our events and our stakeholder engagement to make decisions about funding. Mm, yeah, OK. So so let's talk about communication a bit more widely then, because clearly with the numbers going uh, going through here, the, there is an issue with how HDB communicates with its levy payers. You know, I've spoken to some farmers who say they use HDB's knowledge a lot, but previously they, they didn't know about it. And uh, they think other farmers maybe don't always know about about it. Uh, so we're not fully tapping into the knowledge that the that the board has. Um, how are you going to communicate this more effectively going forward so that farmers really feel that they have all this knowledge and resources at their fingertips? I honestly don't think it's an issue of communication. Uh, I mean, I would never say that we, we can do enough. And I, there are always new things and d- different things we should do to communicate. But I think this is more about the reputation that AHDB has had over the past few years, about the fact that we fell out of touch with levy payers, that we didn't claim enough credit for the good work that we did, we didn't have a high enough profile. I think those are the things that are that are causing farmers who are being given the opportunity to register to say, I'm not sure this will be meaningful, I'm not sure it's worth my time. And I understand an element of, of that sentiment from levy payers. All I can do is keep saying to them it will make a difference and everybody who votes, you know, their vote will be taken into account and they will, their views will be taken into account as we choose how we're going to spend their levy money. I mean, I, I think all these things that you mentioned are communication issues. They're, you know, they're big PR issues, aren't they? They're, yeah, they're, they're about our brand, to be honest. I mean, they're, they're, it, it, they're not communication issues in the, in the mechanical sense. I mean, I think we, we've been really poor, I think, in the past at claiming credit for the work we do. So if you look at some of the market information uh, data that we provide, we are now starting to get our brand on that in the farming press. Uh, We're starting to take a higher profile in the media. So we've been briefing the media over the last few days about the Ukraine crisis. Um, We were active around, obviously, issues in the pork sector. So we've got got to raise our profile. We've got to be a bit clearer about what we do uh, and the things that make a difference for levy payers the things that they really value, whether that's exports or the We Eat Balanced marketing campaign or the recommended list, genetics, whatever it is. Uh, So we've got to bring a sharper focus to that. We've got to be a little bit uh, more visible and we've got to behave a bit more confidently and a a bit more bold, I think. So I guess going forwards, you know, there's a lot of change in farming and there will be for some time yet. Um, I guess some people might say that HDB is a bit clunky and also that it has um, it's lost a lot of talent in recent years. Now, I, I know from, from having interviewed many people at HDB over the years that there are and have been some incredible people there with fantastic knowledge and expertise that you often actually don't get anywhere else. But how are you going to make sure that the organisation is fit for purpose moving forwards and still has that that talent that is there to be able to support farmers through this very challenging time? I mean, you're right that we, we've lost too many good people. And, and it's important to understand this organisation has been through two very tough years from a fire at our Stonely headquarters in January of 20, 2020 
through COVID, through the ballots in horticulture and potatoes. You know, we've had that we've had to make redundancies as a result of those ballots. Um, that's cast a cloud of uncertainty over the organisation, uh, which has seen good people choose to leave, which is sad, but um, I think in some sense is inevitable. So what I can do about it is set a clear course for the future to describe the organisation that I want AHDB to be, to enrol our stakeholders in that vision, to get them to buy into it, to, for them to see that I, I have this vision of, a, of us making a unique contribution to farming support alongside the farming unions and vets and agronomists and banks and academia and everybody else in that in that world. But we have a unique role to play as a levy board. It gives us unique advantages in terms of our funding model, in terms of the fact that we collect from everybody and we support everybody with the money. Uh, and as I said, we need to be more focused about the services and products we, we provide to make sure that we are adding our unique value and where it's not for us to do, we should be working in partnership with others to deliver it or indeed leaving it to them to deliver. In, say, two to three years' time, Tim, you know, what would you like AHDB to look like? You know, in, in terms of, from a farm, farmer's perspective, um, you know, in terms of really practical, useful stuff, what do you envisage it to be? I, I can't afford to wait three years. It's got to happen quicker than that. Um, my simple test is that at the moment when I sit down with levy payers, and ask them what they think of AHDB. Usually they'll give me one or two things that they're complaining about that they think we don't do well or we, we haven't got right. And then, then they'll usually come around to saying, hey, but there is there are one or two things we do that we, that we really value. I've got to turn that conversation around. They've got to start with things that they value and then get around to telling me the stuff that they want us to do differently. And I think if I, if I can pull that off, if I can if every levy payer can can identify one product or service they get from us that really justifies the levy, then I think we'll have got to pretty much where we need to be. It's already a good deal more streamlined because about 100 people left us during the course of last year. Some of that through redundancy, some of that through people resigning to go and do other things. So we're a smaller organisation. We've committed to saving money. Uh, I've reduced the number of senior roles from 20 to 14. Um, we've stripped out the chief officer grade. So, yes, it's it's definitely a more streamlined, a more focused organisation, but, uh, but also one with a higher profile that's not afraid to take a, a point of view on things, uh, an organisation which I, you know, I describe us uh, aspirationally as a critical enabler for farming success, where farmers get to describe what success means. And, and that's that's the, you know, by putting levy payers at the heart of what we do through the mechanism of the vote uh, and being very focused on delivering that value, added value for levy payers, I think we can build HDB back into something, not just the organisation we were before the ballots, but something much uh, more effective than that. What do you think HDB offers that perhaps another organisation doesn't? What would you say to people listening who say they don't really know what HDB does for them as levy payers? So I, I think um, our unique attributes are around scale. So we're a £45 million a year organisation in terms of the levy we collect. Uh, that enables us to employ the very best people. Um, and there's a huge amount of expertise in this organisation. That's another unique contribution we can make. And the third is we have no commercial or political um, point of view. So we can, we can provide, be a trusted source of information and data, uh, and we can also convene different bits of the industry and bring them together to build collaborative solutions to problems. And I think those, 
those three things around scale, around expertise, and around influence and collaboration, those, those are the, the unique characteristics of being a levy board. So what practical tools might we, you know, might we expect to see in the next few years from HDB to help farmers transition, you know, towards new agricultural policy, but also um, I think, you know, we're seeing more of a movement towards regenerative farming. So some of it will be things that are reasonably familiar, like the recommended lists uh, that are designed to help technical success on farm to to be more productive or uh, to focus on profit margin. Some of it will be things around genetics. I think that's going to be a growing source of advice that we provide. Uh, Some of it, I think, will be about sustainability, where I I see our role as, as helping farmers to set out the safe steps that they can take towards their net zero ambitions. Um, There's a huge amount of advice on offer, but it can be quite confusing. So there are 50 different carbon calculators that farmers could currently use. It's not our job to say, this is the one you should use, but it is our job to say, here are the characteristics you should be looking for in a carbon calculator that we think would make it valid and worthwhile to invest in. So a source of both... um, definitive long-term advice. We, we can afford to take a longer-term perspective than the commercial sector, but also real-world answers, real-world advice on real-world farming problems right now. Okay, Tim, thanks very much. I think we'll leave it there. But anyone who wants to sign up for the HDB ballot to have their say on how their levy levy money should be spent can register up until 12 noon on the 31st of March by going to ahdb.org.uk forward slash shape the future. And if you scroll down on that page, you can also see how AHDB currently spends your money. Well, that's it for this week's podcast. With the ballot costing £100,000, roughly 25k per sector, make sure you sign up at ahgb.org.uk slash shape the future to have your say. I'll be back next week talking to dairy farmers about their thoughts on AHDB. So until then, stay safe and we'll see you soon.